presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright, and I am chairman of the board of Common Sense Institute. Thank you for joining us. Today, we are joined by Debbie Brown, the CEO and president of the Colorado Business Roundtable. David Davia, the Executive Vice President and CEO of Rocky Mountain MCA, and Liz Peets, the Vice President of Government Affairs at Colorado Association of Realtors. Join us as we discuss Colorado's well-being with top leaders from Colorado. First of all, thank you for all of you joining. I deeply appreciate it. And let's start off with uh, just a general sense of what the three of you have been up to. Maybe a little bit of a controversial question. Are you worried about Colorado's economic well-being after COVID-19? And has it abruptly changed a lot of what's going on here in Colorado? We had a pretty good uh, year going into 2019. How do you see things uh, changing and spending and investment habits? How do you see all that impact in 2021? Liz, give us a shot at that, will you? Sure. Do you want, uh, I'll go ahead and take a first stab and then Liz, you can jump in. Um, thanks for the question, Earl. You know, I think that's true. There, there, there is some worry about Colorado coming out of this, uh, global pandemic. And of course, the corresponding economic devastation that we've seen. We want to come out strong. Uh, Colorado compared to other states was already by some measure, you know, the number one economy in the country. And so we don't want to rest on the fact that that's in our past. We brought together a group of, thought leaders, public policy folks, and private sector uh, CEOs and entrepreneurs to really weigh in on that and lean in to make sure we put forward public policy recommendations that would not only help Colorado survive what's been going on this past year, but help us come out of this stronger than ever. I hear you loud and clear with regards to us being the number one economy. But before we go to Liz, um, we we had COVID-19 impact us rather severely here. From that, from your perspective of coming out of it, you know, how do you see, uh, very frankly, that what you all are doing helping us uh, recover? Well, I think I think the premise of your question was spot on. It's not going to be an easy recovery, and to some degree, different industry sectors were hit harder than others. You know, different areas of our state have been harder than others, and so it'll be a spotty recovery. But to put forward recommendations that think about policies differently, it's, it's a really opportune time. For example, I, th- I think about the word disruption and how disruption brings challenges for sure in every aspect of, um, you know, the health challenges that we're facing and, and particularly in industries such as hospitality. But I also think in times of disruption, it brings opportunity. So that's where I think there's a little bit of optimism coming out, um, particularly around some of the pillars that we've talked about it's a chance to rethink work, rethink education, um, rethink technology and access for all Coloradans in a way that we really wouldn't have had without the disruption of COVID. So you're saying to some extent, let's take chance out of this recovery and see if we can't design what kind of a state we want to be after we come out of this recovery and how we can build on some opportunities that COVID-19 situation might have created. Is that a fair summation? Absolutely, Earl. And I mean, you, you make such a, you know, that's exactly what I mean. You know, we, we've seen telehealth be launched. It would have never taken off like it has because of this disruption. 
We've seen regulations be um, put aside, for example, even in restaurants um, with, you know, I hate to use the example of takeout alcohol, but why was that a regulation before if it's not needed during COVID? We've seen educational opportunities rise because of the need for students to have devices and technology to learn at home. You know, there's going to just be some incredible lessons learned coming out that we can come together and, and put forward going forward. We don't have to return to the same um, box, as you will, that we had prior to COVID. Uh, Debbie, let's, let's go to Liz. Liz, uh, I understand you all have created competitiveness assessment, and it's one of the three key pillars mentioned in this report. Give us a little bit more uh, as to what you're talking about in comp competitiveness and what we ought to be thinking about as we come out of this pandemic. Yeah, thank you, Earl. Um, competitiveness is one of our three pillars, and we really focused in on this because, as Debbie was saying, we realized that we have been successful in Colorado in the past, but we want to maintain the ability to be successful in the future. And right now, our fiscal and business regulatory environments could threaten that future as we try to compete with 49 other states for top jobs. And we see ourselves potentially losing a step or two. We're 40th in unemployment insurance tax in terms of a rank. We have over 155,000 state regulations and we just passed a pretty costly family and medical leave program on the ballot that will impact employers. Uh, but we have some really great things that we're recommending, and I think we want to focus in on making those innovative changes that we can in this new environment post-COVID. And I would just give you four of them that I would focus in on. Um, we want to foster high-quality, good-paying jobs that lift up every Coloradan um, and improve quality of life. We want to build a runway of support to expand the growth of our current businesses and attract top companies to continue to come to Colorado in our strategic industry clusters. And we wanna seed capital to grow and attract those businesses that we haven't had come or select Colorado in the past. And then when we're thinking about fiscal and business regulatory environments, we really wanna have some dynamic modeling to understand the impacts of our ballot initiatives and our legislation and our taxing schemes so that we continue to stay on top. Guys, I want to press you a little bit on what you said uh, and maybe even challenge you. We both know that this pandemic, uh, and I think everybody in the call knows that this pandemic been decimated to the bottom two quintiles. And the bottom two quintiles, to a large extent, uh, have lost jobs have been in the service industry. We all know about the restaurants and service industries. And service industries represent about 80% of the economy here in the, United, here in the United States as well as Colorado. So, you know, please tell me, what are you talking about with regards to the road recovery that is going to help the bottom two quintiles? Well, I think what we've seen during the pandemic is some of the aspects of our economy are left out. And we need to have an economy that works for everyone. We need working parents to be able to have vibrant, high-quality jobs that help them have a good quality of life. Is that code to some extent that we need to get the single, the single mother, or actually the mother who works with children, back into the labor force? Is that is that code for what you're saying? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think we need to support working parents in a much better way than we have in the past. And that's what some of these recommendations uh, focus on. Would that, I know that the report, you made a big emphasis on childcare and the fact that childcare in Colorado is one of the most expensive in the country. What do you see in that area as far as childcare? What could be done? Some kind of a supplement, some kind of a monetary help? What are you talking about or what are you thinking about? Well, you're absolutely right, Earl. Childcare is expensive in Colorado. We're the eighth highest cost of childcare in the country. And we've lost a lot of our childcare facilities since 2011 due to overburdensome regulations or expensive uh, compliance measures. I mean, we lost 30% of our supply since 2011 and we need to do better for our parents and we can. So one of the things we're recommending when it relates to childcare is let's look at ways we can incentivize using commercial property in new ways to meet the business models that are uh, developing and innovative. But also let's take away some of those regulations that prevent us from having childcare to support the workforce. Because if working parents don't have an affordable cost of childcare, it doesn't matter how good their job is when 40% of their income goes to childcare. Thanks Liz, I appreciate the specifics on that. Liz, just one last question. After asking you to uh, tell us how we can handle the childcare situation, when you think about all that you've done in this report, how do you feel about Colorado's future? Are you optimistic? You got concerns? Where, where do you come down on this? Uh, I'm optimistic for our future. We have top talent and we're a very educated state. All we need to do is work on the inputs. Let's fix our policy and regulatory environments and build an inclusive economy that works for all. We also need to do more about housing. That's important. If we don't keep costs down for Coloradans, we jeopardize our ability to have top high quality jobs that serve everyone in Colorado. Yes, thanks. Uh, there's a pillar too, I understand, and this the report, um, and it's reimagine Colorado's workforce. What in the world does that mean? What are we talking about reimagining? I can't think of a better person to answer that question than you, Dave. So give us some insight as to what you mean by reimagining our workforce. Sure. Thanks, Earl. And thanks to CSI, our Common Sense Institute, and the Colorado Business Roundtable, uh, Kristen and Debbie, for their leadership. Uh, I have a team of folks that we worked on this uh, initiative with. Uh, my co-chair is Scott Hughes from Apple Corporation. Uh, and so while I'm here and talking about this today, this was a culmination of many, many hours and a whole lot of ideas from a lot of great business leaders in this state. So reimagining the workforce is plain and simple. Our uh, technology is driving change in um, our workplace now faster than it ever has. Uh, there's a gentleman that said uh, to me, uh, Newt Gingrich one time in a presentation said, Technology uh, has the rate and pace of change of technology over the, uh, the next five years will be at a pace faster than the last 150. Um, and so, you know, while uh, our EcoDevo teams have been out recruiting great businesses and helping those that are here remain, we have to figure out what today's workers need to look like for today's employers and what tomorrow looks like. 
And so I'm very pleased to say that we spent uh, time and simplified this uh, initiative into two key areas. One for uh, focus on P to 20 education uh, and that cycle. And then the other is really renaissance, if you will, of uh, the construction and skilled trades uh, workforce. And how do we help the two coexist? We know college isn't for everybody. And, you know, just in our industry, uh, in construction, we need 53,000 more workers in eight years. We're not going to be able to offshore those. We're not going to be able to outsource those. Um, when you have an electrical problem or a plumbing problem, you, you can't call a call center. Um, it has to be a, someone coming to your house to fix a furnace or a toilet or a hot water heater. And um, those are good paying jobs. And there are opportunities abound uh, in the construction trades. And so it's really about how do we harvest and exploit the things that we're doing well? And how do we, you know, pour a little bit more energy behind those efforts? How do we cross connect uh, programs that are best of market in this state and make them better? Um, and what resources are needed to do that? How do we help today's students, counselors, and parents offer career choices and career paths that best suit them. You know, in construction, our average apprentice is 26 years old. So that tells us that they've gone out, they've gone to college, and they've worked in a career or profession, and they're either wanting a career change or they're wanting to come out of the field and work in the office. And so how do, how do we give them the platform and the horsepower to do that? And that's really what we focused on in pillar number two. I want to ask you to explore a little bit something that I read years ago and compare that to today, if you would. Uh, Jean-Jacques Zerbin-Schreiber, uh, a Parisian editor, a French Parisian, a Frenchman, wrote the American Challenge. And in the American Challenge, he said that uh, Europe and other developed countries around the world would have a very difficult time developing to what the U.S. economy is because of the incredible flexibility in our education system and way people can move in and out. And um, he talked about people making career changes, people in their mid, you know, 20s, 30s, sometimes in their 30s going back to college. And it was an open educational system to do that. As I read your report, it seems to me that you're accentuating and saying, hey, let's build on what we have to create this workforce that we need. Did I read your report correctly? And, and would you care to expand on it if, if I haven't or have? Sure, Earl. And uh, your read is spot on. I will tell you that, you know, uh, if we uh, use the European model, uh, they, they require folks to take an assessment test in what would be, you know, a junior high or a high school entry point in time. And then from there, you're either on a college track or you're going to the career or you go into military. You know, all three options are open to families and all three are equally um, important in the economy. Um, here, we've had, uh, you know, through a course of a number of years, classes like auto shop, woodworking, plastics, taken out of high schools because of budget cuts. So a student's ability to understand or see their future 
has really kind of been on the backs of the college system. It's it's all about a proposition for a higher ed. And, you know, not everybody's wired for that. And not everybody uh, is going to find their home in that. Uh, 27% of everybody who goes to college ends up working in the career that they studied. 27%. In our field, uh, in construction, 98% of people who come into the trade end up staying in the trade and or construction in order for their career. David, do they, do they always come in right out of high school or do they sometimes take a circuitous route to end up in your trades? The average age, as I said before, is 26 years old. So most of folks go out and either get that college education or follow their dreams or take a year off uh, to do some kind of uh, community service work. Um, but no, not there's not a whole lot of bridge from high school into the apprenticeship programs. We do have uh, apprentices that are just out of high school. Uh, and it's mostly people who have parents or family members that are in the construction trades. So they have visibility to what's possible, the earning potential, the growth potential. I mean, we build Colorado Skyline and, you know, it's really great for people to drive by a building and say, I built that. And I don't think that, you know, again, college is is a great source and a great tool to help advance people. That's why our P to 20 initiative included college. Um, but, you know, construction is also great. Uh, going into the military and serving your country is also wonderful. And so those are all options that we need to make sure have equal exposure to tomorrow's uh, college graduate or high school graduates rather um, so that they can see themselves in those careers. David, one of the things that uh, your report talked about is having some kind of public financing or scholarship financing being available to what I would say people that were thinking about mid-career changes. Maybe it's not quite mid-career, but up to the, you know, somewhere in their thirties, maybe in their forties, all of a sudden they say, Hey, guess what? I'd like to go back and, get a certification or I'd like to go back and complete my college degree. How come, what's the, what's the reason behind that particular recommendation relative to what we need here in Colorado and the pandemic and the recovery from the pandemic? Well, today's employers are all require uh, or look for people who have some kind of a certification and or college diploma or both uh, and making that, accessible and available to people is very important. I mean, Liz talked about healthcare. A lot of the schools that, you know, are in construction or in some of the vocational trades are night schools. And if you have family with kids, you know, how do you have access to childcare? Those, those kinds of issues we also looked at and um, those kinds of issues impede a person's ability to be able to further themselves and certifications and grants and access to that is, is another piece because some of those certifications or continuing uh, training require an investment. And, you know, if we look at the hospitality sector who's been decimated here by COVID and the shutdowns and the pandemic here, you know, they probably don't have money sitting in the bank to be able to, you know, go get retraining uh, in order to become employed in a different industry. Before we move on to uh, Deb again to talk about the third pillar, just a very quick uh, kind of a foundational question. Where, where do we co compare to other states with regards to the, the workforce composition we have so we can kind of see where we were and where you all are trying to move us? 
There's many uh, factors, and I just saw the Metro Denver Economic Development Corporation published its uh, towards a meta, more competitive Colorado yesterday. I haven't gotten into the weeds, but you know we're a highly educated state. We're a very, uh, very fit state. Uh, we have um, you know access to great institutions across the state, uh, but there are some places where we underperform. Uh, cost of college is um, getting very expensive, and not everybody has uh, equal or uh, um, equal access to um, scholarships and other programs to help them continue or further their uh, livelihood and, and look for a path. Um, and so really part of our um, structure or our initiative was to really examine those and figure out how we can ask our legislative leadership to prioritize some of those uh, funding sources to be able to help Colorado compete. Hey, thanks, David. Um, Debbie, <clears throat> we have a third pillar, and that's the pillar is infrastructure. Just a, a little background on that. You know, the infrastructure issue seems to only get worse only because of the incredible attractiveness we have here in Colorado of attracting folks in from outside who often uh, help our, our labor force uh, as far as the uh, uh, intellectual level of our labor force and the degrees, et cetera, that they bring with them, PhDs, masters, undergraduates. But boy, they create a real problem with regards to our streets and highways and sometimes challenges for educating uh, all the, the families they bring with them. So you know, how, how do you see this, uh, the workforce and our competitive agenda uh, interacting with the infrastructure and, and uh, how do you see the priorities in the infrastructure of that third pillar you're talking about? Yeah, you bet. It's it's an interesting dilemma, almost like a seesaw. You know, we want to bring in uh, mm -hmm. new businesses and growth that certainly help Coloradans and the business environment, but it, it strains our infrastructure to some degree because of roads and, um, you know, broadband and, and some other needs that are put in place. I think it's interesting. That's probably one of the few benefits of what we've seen with COVID is the traffic has been lighter. But as things start opening up, you know, if we if we have to look at the bright side, that's one of the very few things. But uh, it certainly won't last. And as folks want to, um, you know, get back out there once once we have some more consumer confidence, of course, with the vaccine, I suspect we'll see traffic uh, tick back up. But uh, infrastructure has been a critical part of the report because it really is the backbone of our economy economy and it's it's the way we look at the future for Colorado. We've got to continue to make some of these critical investments in infrastructure so that Coloradans can live and work and thrive in our state. You know, one example, we've got several in here. Um we've spent a, a little bit of time in the report on broadband of course and looking at how broadband currently, you know, is deployed. And one of the pillars that was brought to light by Common Sense Institute was sort of this where we are now with, with broadband, for example, and that Colorado ranks 25th right now for state broadband access. So when you have um, a workforce that is now um, not able to work in a traditional office environment and is working from home and you have students who aren't working in a traditional school environment and are learning from home, of course, broadband becomes a critical infrastructure need to make sure we can keep the economy humming along in terms of working and, and learning. So there's been a lot of good effort already in Colorado in terms of extra stimulus funding for broadband in Colorado and some really good folks who are working to deploy that really, really quickly. 
Um, another pillar, as, as you'll see, we've got some other topics areas around transportation, which you mentioned, um, a couple recommendations around energy, and then, um, you know, kind of a summary of where we want to see in future growth. It's not all encompassing, but I think a real focus on infrastructure as we look forward is, is incredibly important for our economic recovery. Give, give us give us a little specificity, if you would, please. So, okay, we have an issue on broadband. We have an infra, issue with regards to transportation. And what would you all hope that as we come out of the pandemic, that we make a commitment to with regards to broadband? And then what commitment would you like to see us make with regards to our communications capabilities? Or what commitment would you like to see us make with regards to transportation? Let's start with broadband. You know, if we if we think about where we are now in 2020, and again, I mentioned children who have um, do not have internet access. When the report was finalized, it was about 54,000 children, school age children, who do not have internet access. You know, how are those children able to continue their education, knowing that there's still going to be some time before school is back to 100% in person learning? So that would be one. Earl is looking at. Who doesn't have broadband access now and quickly provide some additional funding for that? Are we talking about, hey, we need to have 100% broadband connection throughout the state, not just here in Colorado's front range, but throughout the state as we come out of this pandemic? Are, are you, is that a goal, an objective you're, you're saying we ought to commit to? Well, I would I would probably defer to the co-chairs on that particular subject area. I'm not sure that we were that bold to give us give a number, but I think we were definitely saying there are gaps to fill and shame on us if we don't try to fill those gaps. Everything from, um, you know, rural broadband, any particular gaps. But I think the good news, what I what I was going to say is there's already been some really significant investments in broadband from the federal perspective and from the state stimulus that was just recommended by the governor. So I think really good progress is being made, and even in terms of um, breaking down some regulatory barriers as well. So I think there's a lot of good folks who are, who are pressing on this. Whether there's ever a, a chance to have 100% need met, you know, that I'm not sure. I would have to defer to some of our chairs. Well, let's go back in to uh, transportation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've said we need 600 to a billion dollars just to maintain. I guess maybe it's 400 to 600 uh, million to up to a billion, but large number. Are you saying, hey, we need to make that commitment and, and act accordingly over the next 36, 48 months? What are you all saying? Well, the report gives out several options for, for funding on transportation. And the next step is to then convene and work with lawmakers and the governor's office on specifics on that. So um, definitely outlines a couple different areas. And I know Common Sense Institute also put together a report on particular considerations on funding. But as far as deciding on one specific way to fund transportation um, needs in the future, the report didn't go that far at this point. Well, then let's go to telecommunications. You <laughs> talked about telecommunications and you made some real, I thought some interesting uh, recommendations with regards to community involvement in, in the telecommunications and regulations. I can tell you there's some real dead spots in the state of Colorado when it comes to telecommunications, other than saying, hey, we need to improve it. Are we saying that, hey, let's get this entire state uh, totally uh, linked into uh, to telecommunications so cellular capabilities and the data transition associated with it can yeah, work uh, in Lyman as well as it can work in uh, Denver? 
<laughs> Absolutely. I run into those problems too, Earl. I think we travel in some similar corridors south of town where, you know, I, I can't imagine why I'm dropping off. But, uh, you know, kind of back to some of the contributors who put this report together. And I would note that this isn't, um, you know, a one and done kind of report. There's still, um, okay, next steps. We've got meetings even next week on, okay, how do we bring the right people together to actually execute on some of these? And, and sometimes um, the recommendation might be more big picture and we're putting together the execution plans right now. But right. I'll give you an example. One of the chairs for this particular for the, this particular pillar is Roberta Robinette with AT and T of Colorado, and of course, you know she's twenty four seven thinking about broadband and equity of access for Colorado in terms of broadband. Liz, uh, I'm going to give each one of you uh, just a, you know, a few a few more minutes or seconds, actually. What's one or two points that you think that would be important that uh, you'd like to have us walk away with that maybe you'd like to just reemphasize. Uh, Liz, is there anything that just strikes you that you'd really like to say, wait a minute, I really hope that, that uh, whoever's listening to this would think about this or that with regards to uh, your, you taught, you of course, coach your competitiveness. Anything additional you'd like to say, Liz? You know, I think what I would point out is we're really at a tipping point in some of the ways our economy could continue to get better actually get worse, especially when we think about housing and childcare, we are not affordable in either realm. And if we don't do something now to make changes while we have an opportunity to be innovative, we are going to look back in 10 years and wonder why we didn't spend time on that. And I think everything that we talk about in the competitiveness pillar matters to both an employee and an employer. These are not just Colorado consumer issues. These are workforce issues. And if we don't think about how to reduce our regulatory environment and our fiscal policy that threatens our future, I think we'll wonder what happened to our state in 10 years. So we have an opportunity. I'm optimistic, we're smart, we're talented, we can do it, but we have to put in the hard work now to make sure we have a prosperous future for everyone. Thank you. David, do you have any uh, additional thoughts for closing? Um, there are just two. You know, we need to uh, work with the Department of Labor and uh, Department of Higher Education to look at, you know, how we accredit programs, how we accredit uh, practices, uh, and the credentials that come along with those. And I think it's important that we do a better job uh, of, of taking a look at those. The second I would say is, you know, we're a highly educated state. And we need to invest that same energy into providing young people with choices and making sure that every young person understands and can see themselves in a career path that suits what they want out of life and who they are internally. Not everybody's an engineer and certainly not everybody's a doctor, uh, but there's a lot of people that could be great in construction or great in technology jobs. And until they see themselves in it, or are given the opportunity for ability to it, to see themselves in it, we fail. Okay, thank you, appreciate it. I would just like to say at, at Colorado Business Roundtable, we call it the ABCG, Academia, Business, Community, and Government. And we had a lot of those folks from those different sectors weigh in to this original Road to Recovery initiative. 
And what I think is particularly important in this case is the business community, you know, free market folks, entrepreneurs, big thinkers who were willing to take time out of their busy schedule to kind of rethink what might be the norm. And I think that does set Colorado apart, as Liz said, we're, we're a collaborative state. We're a feisty state. We want to come out of this incredibly strong. And what I'd leave it with is if this report is interesting to folks perhaps listening to this podcast, you know, shoot us an email and join us on the next round. Uh, this isn't a closed door meeting. We're going to need lots of hands on deck, particularly from the private sector, to lean in on these issues to make sure we're incredibly strong coming out of it. Thank you. Uh, the work that you all have done, I hope everybody will go on the website. I know Common Sense Institute, uh, we have a link to the study. Um, I would encourage anybody listening to the webcast to uh, go to report. It's a good, easy read. It's very specific. And thank you all for all the work and leadership that you've given with this report and your leadership that, uh, for Colorado. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.